Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. We've been in this sermon series entitled Saints Under Construction uh, from 1 Corinthians. And we saw the very first week that that moment that we come to know that we have sinned against a holy God, which is all of us, right? And that our sins have separated us from God, and if we die in that condition, we will be separated from God forever in hell. But, but then we've learned that Jesus died for our sins. He paid the penalty on the cross, just like we were singing about. He shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose again from the dead. And now the offer to us is if you will acknowledge your need of a Savior, acknowledge your need, and then place your faith and trust in Jesus, you receive Christ as Savior, that at that moment, every sin is forgiven. Because Jesus paid for how many of your sins? Every sin forgiven. Forever. Uh, You receive eternal life, and this life is over. You go on living with God in heaven. And then... He comes to live within you and begins changing you from the inside out. But what we saw in this first week is that God did something permanent down inside of us. In that deepest part of our being, what we would refer to as our spirit, he changed us forever there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul acknowledges this by saying that God calls us, do you remember what he calls us? Saints. Saints. That's right, he calls us saints. And and. You say, wow, I'm a saint, St. Walt. That's you should go to church. Who's where you go to church? I go to St. Walt's. Uh, put your own name in there. That's where you go. So what saints means is holy ones. That means that God, deep down inside of us, has changed us. We're no longer deep down inside evil to the core. Instead, he has made us holy, righteous, good, an awfully lot like Jesus, deep down inside. Now, the rest of our life is still a mess, isn't it? Okay, how we think about things is still goofed up. How we feel about things is still goofed up. How we live our lives is still goofed up. And that needs to change. But that's what happens. That's the process. That God, I get saved. God changes me deep down inside. And then I begin going through life learning how to live like I really am that person that God has made me to be and says that I am. So we are saints under construction. And if you remember, we said that we are no longer sinners Trying to become saints, we are what? Saints who are learning not to sin. It's a big difference in that, okay? Now, the second week, we saw this verse that's on the screen up there where Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It isn't all sorts of other things. It isn't human wisdom. It isn't techniques and methods, all that kind of stuff. No, it's about Jesus Christ, and very important, and him crucified. Jesus had to die for our sins. And what does that say about how needy we were? desperately needy and still are in need of his working in our lives. And so this message must always be at the core of everything that we believe and do. And then we saw uh, that we need to have an eternal perspective on life because every life choice is a choice to either invest in eternal things or to waste something forever that you can never get back. And so God keeps calling us to an eternal perspective when we evaluate how we live our lives and what we're doing. And then we saw uh, that uh, that we need to be faithful and serve Christ as stewards. Serve Christ as faithful 
stewards. And as he's entrusted to us all these things that he's told us in his word, and we need to be faithful to use them the way that he wants us to and to live by them. And that brings us to today's message. Can you, have you ever had a time when you received maybe an email uh, or back in the day a letter or a phone call, somebody letting you know that something bad has happened or something bad is happening or maybe even something bad is about to happen and, and it's big and you're looking and think, how in the world do we deal with this? And you know you're going to have to deal with it. It isn't one of those things that you can ignore. You know it's going to come up. It's going, you're going to find yourself face to face with it and figure out how do I deal with that? Now, is that a fun place to be? That's one of those places you always try to figure out how can I not be here? Right? And, and you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and you think, was it a dream? And then you realize, no, it wasn't. Anybody ever done that? Like, besides me, I have. You know? Well, come, maybe it wasn't real, and then you oh, it's still real. It's heavy and it's hard. Well, the Apostle Paul found himself this way because the Apostle Paul was, uh, God had given him responsibility for getting the gospel out and then he helped start churches and then he helped those churches to, to learn what they needed to know and how to function as churches. So he had this huge responsibility and he had heard a message from somebody. Somebody brought him a message. Paul didn't have email. Uh, but someone had brought him a message from the city of Corinth and told him about something. It was really bad. And Paul knew he was going to have to deal with it. And, and here we are in the, his fifth chapter. Paul didn't write chapters, but here we are hmm, about a third of the way through his letter. And now he's going to address that issue. And here's the issue. He had been told, rightly, that there was a man in the church who, I don't, we don't know all the background details, but who had now moved in with his father's wife. So it's probably his stepmother. So something has happened in the father's marriage, and this man has moved in with his father's wife. And the church is priding themselves on how accepting they are, that they have accepted this and are just acting like everything's fine and, you know, uh, and so Paul has to deal with this and he writes them and he says, listen, I've, I've heard, it's been reported to me that this has happened and he says, this is sexual immorality and he said, this is sexual immorality that is of the nature that even the unsaved world out there knows this isn't right. It's not right. This shouldn't be happening. And he says, and you guys are, are puffed up and patting yourselves on the back about how loving and accepting you are. But he says, this is unacceptable. As Christians, he says, in the church, we can't allow this. And he actually says that I have passed judgment and God's authority, you need to pass judgment and say to this man, you cannot continue to do this. And if you are going to continue to do this, you can no longer be a part of the church. And that's heavy stuff, isn't it? Really hard stuff. But that's what Paul had to do. And told them that they needed to take the, the church relationship and, and what we're supposed to be as Christians so seriously 
that this man needed to be put out of church. And, and the reason he needed to be put out of church is because he needed to experience the consequences of his choices to get him to turn back to the Lord. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But I want to pick up, after Paul has just said all that, we want to pick up on what he's saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's page 1314 in this Bibles that are under the chairs there. If you don't have a Bible with you today, or maybe you're, you have a, a translation with you that's different than what we're using and you want to follow along, page 1314, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Start in verse number 9. Apparently Paul had written them an earlier letter as well, dealing with this kind of issue. And he says this. I wrote to you in my epistle. You guys know what an epistle is? It's not a wife of an apostle. It is a letter. That's a fancy word for a letter, kind of a formal letter. All right? So Paul says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. And keep company is this idea of fellowshipping with, hanging out with, acting as though everything is fine. We're all fine. And he says, I wrote you and told you you can't do that. If someone is sexually immoral, you can't do that. And by the way, sexual immorality um, is really not about what. It's about who. That's the way the Bible presents sexual immorality. It's not about what is happening. It's about who it's happening with. And God has been very clear that all sexual activity, you know, sexually stimulation, all of these things are to be in the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman who are committed to life, for life. And so that's what it's supposed to be. So anything outside that would be sexual immorality. But he says someone who is sexually immoral, he says you shouldn't just hang around and act like everything is fine and normal. Verse 10, he says, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. And then he expands the list. Or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, and the list could go on. He says, I I didn't mean that. He says, since then you would need to go out of the world. The world is full of sexually immoral people, isn't it? The world is full of covetous people. The world is full of people who've put something else in front of God. The world is full of all those kinds of things. And Paul says, and apparently the Corinthians had messed this up. And they were not, you know, the people out there, they weren't hanging out with those sinful people. Now they were letting it go on in their own church. But they weren't hanging out with those people. They were doing so. Paul says, no, 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 you don't understand. I didn't mean those people. Not out there. And he says, because you'd have to go out of the world. You couldn't have anything to do with the world if that's the case. Verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company. Again, that idea of fellowshipping, hanging out with. To keep company with anyone named a brother. Let's stop right there. So he says, okay, the issue here is someone who says, I am a fellow Christian. They are a part of our church. He says, I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, and the list could go on. But he says, not even to eat with such a person. So in Paul's day, having a meal was, uh, uh, sharing a meal was a very important part of their culture. And if you shared a meal with someone, you were probably communicating, hey, I'm okay with you. And Paul's saying you can't do that. A Christian who's 
choosing not to live like a Christian, I'll elaborate on that in a minute, but Christians choosing not to live like a Christian, you can't act like they're living like a Christian and act like everything's fine. You can't do that. Then verse 12, he says, for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? What, you know, why are we judging them, he says. He says, do you not judge those who are inside? Isn't that what you're supposed to be doing? Judging within the church? He says, but those who are outside, what? What's it say? God judges. But inside's another story. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person, this person who is claiming to be a Christian and who has chosen openly not to live like one. He says, put that person out. Pretty strong stuff, isn't it? But I want you to see something here. Paul is making a contrast. He says, there is the world around us. The world around us does not know Christ, right? They don't. And then we do know Christ. And God has changed us deep down inside. And he's he's at work in our lives if we cooperate with him, if we let him. And, And he says that we in the church are to live by a higher standard. A higher standard. That is what God has called us to. And doesn't that make sense? The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And it is important for us as a church that that we be the kind of church that that God wants us to be. He's called us to live by a higher standard. Now, so the issue here is sinful people in the church. And so we ask the question, well, how do we deal with sinful people in the church? And, and uh, so that's, that's the question. How do we deal with sinful people in the church? And then I think like, well, well, wait a minute. Sinful people in the church, isn't that you and me? That, that's, that's you and me. And, and so... Right off the bat, when we talk about trying to deal with the issue of sin in the church and sinful people in the church, there's a a quality that is essential, and that quality is humility. We need to approach this issue with humility. Uh, Because God makes it clear, you know, he says, uh, at one point he says, let someone who thinks that they're standing strong take heed, lest they fall, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Go ahead and go to that, yeah. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Are we capable of becoming that person? We are. And he also says in in, uh, Galatians, he says that if someone is overtaken with a a trespass, he says, you that are spiritual, you need to restore this person with a spirit of gentleness doing what? Considering your own self lest you be tempted. See, we are... We can be that person. We could be that person that we're talking about because we all start off with this struggle with sin. We're all recovering sinners. Can I say it that way? Right? We've all been impacted by sin and we're all recovering from that. We're all capable of, of being this person that's being talked about. Now, we need to take that humility and we need to match it up with another quality and that is honesty. It is so important that we be honest with ourselves and with each other about this situation and what's going on. And um, because here's the reality. We need to be honest about this fact that all of us as Christians 
are struggling with sin of some sort. Aren't we? We all are. Do you remember, early on we talked about that first sermon I said today, that I am no longer a sinner who's trying to become a saint. I am a saint who's learning not to sin. Well, guess what? Does that just happen automatically? No, there's a struggle, isn't there? There's a struggle that we find ourselves experiencing sometimes with, with sin. So you know, I, I'm no longer a, a sinner trying to become a saint. I am a saint who is learning not to sin. I am, it, it, someone might say, I am no longer a drunkard. I'm no longer a drunkard trying to become a saint. I'm a saint who's learning how to get sober and stay sober. Someone might say, I'm no longer a homosexual trying to become a saint. No, I am now a saint who is learning how to deal with same-sex attraction. I am no longer a covetous man trying to become a saint. I am a saint who's learning not to love money and be controlled by it. And, and plug your own sin in, see? Your own struggle. But the idea is when, when we, uh, the reality is that we struggle with those things, don't we? Nobody gets saved and becomes perfect overnight. In fact, nobody gets saved and becomes perfect before this life is over. We're working on it. We're making progress. We're doing better. And that is really important. But we struggle along the way. And so we need to have some humility. And we need to be honest with ourselves about this when we start thinking about dealing with the sinful person in the church. Now, Paul looks at this. And what he says, he says, I'm not talking about that kind of sin. I'm not talking about the person who has been changed and is growing but is struggling with sin. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about someone who has openly chosen to say, I don't care, I'm going to live this way. I know it's not right, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Unrepentant. And, and Paul says, that cannot stand in the church that we cannot allow that in the church. For people who claim to be Christians and who are part of the church and say, I can live however I want to live. You know what you're really saying at that point? You're saying, Jesus is not Lord of my life. And you can't do that. See, the Christian life is to be marked by increasing holiness. God has not called us to uncleanness, as the scripture says, but he's called us to holiness. And, and we don't get that perfect, like I put the line up here. The line goes up and down, doesn't it? But in general, as we look at over time, the progress ought to be up. We ought to be becoming more and more holy. And so Paul is saying, since this is true, and if someone's choosing not to do that, and I'm not going there anymore, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to live with my father's wife, live with it, deal with it. Paul says, we can't accept that. And so he says, that person has to be put out of the church. Now, where we usually hear this, this let me back up. We're just seeing the end result here, the indetermination by Paul. This idea of putting someone outside the church does not happen like this. It isn't, oh wow, I heard about you, you're out. No, it's over time. Jesus put a process in place. He talked about how do we deal with this. We, we go to the person ourselves and we go with two or three others. We eventually bring the church in it. But it's a process over time. And this is usually called church discipline. Okay, church discipline. And eventually, you know, we put someone out of the church if need be. But I want to say to you, how about we not call it church discipline anymore? Let's don't call it church discipline anymore. Because I think it's communicating some things that maybe we don't mean to communicate. 
The Bible doesn't call it church discipline. So we don't have to. You see, this idea of church discipline, in a lot of people's minds, if they say, you know, I was disciplined as a child, what do they think? I was punished as a child. Now, those two words really don't mean the same thing. But a lot of people's minds, it does. Punishing. You've got to pay. Well, I'll tell you what, Jesus already paid. He already paid. So it's not about paying and punishment. The whole process, if you look what Jesus says, you look what Paul says, the principles that are in the Bible, what we find is that it's not really about this idea of disciplining someone, it's about trying to restore them. That's the whole process. All along the way, when Jesus talks about it, he says, go and talk to the person because maybe they'll hear you and, and they can be restored. And you continue all the way this process and the, the end result is funny. If they won't do that, if they refuse to respond, if they refuse to repent, they continue to live in open sin, then yes, we have to put them out. But here's the interesting thing. Why do we put them out? We put them out in hopes that that will bring them back in. Even putting somebody out of the church is intended to be a restorative move. That they will be outside, put outside church, and the church thinks, you can't be here anymore, we can't fellowship with you anymore, uh, this isn't right. But listen, turn back to the Lord. Repent, come back, we're open, we want you back, we love you. And so what you hope is that day in and day out, that person out there is realizing there's a group of Christians out there who love me deeply, but who say, because of the way I'm living, I cannot be in fellowship with them anymore. And God in his wisdom... He knows better than we do. I mean, we think if you put them out, that's going to be the end of it. But God in his wisdom says no. And so we trust him and do what he says to do. So it's about restoration. So we as Christians and in a church, we have to take this seriously. I mean, do you agree this is what God says? He says it. We have to take it seriously. And most of the time it never comes to that. Very seldom does it come to that, but on occasion it does come to that, and we have to deal with it. Now, because we are human beings who started off as sinners, we, when we start thinking this way, it's okay, we have to judge sin then, right? We have to make judgments about sin. Well, once we turn our minds that way and start looking at each other, if we aren't careful, we start becoming suspicious of everybody. What are you doing? I mean, there are churches like that. And so if we aren't careful, we can become judgmental people. Judgmental people. And that is not what we want. We don't want to become a spiritual police where we're always investigating one another and trying to find out who's doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Remember, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about a person who's falls and sins and struggles. Think about, Peter comes to Jesus and says, okay, my brother sins against me. How many times have I got to forgive him? I've been real generous. I think seven times is enough. Do you remember what Jesus told him? Nope, 70 times seven. Why? Because it's not about trying to, you know, judge someone else. It's about seeing them restored and seeing them respond properly. And so we don't want to be judgmental people. We don't want to become finger pointers. You know what I mean? This is a, the accusation part. Well, 
So how do we deal with this? Is it possible to, to make judgments without becoming judgmental? Yeah, listen, in the courtroom, judges do it all the time, don't they? Judges, they make judgments. They apply the law. They apply what the Bible says. No, not the Bible. What the law says, what the Constitution says. But hey, if all of a sudden you found a judge who had moved from making judgments to being judgmental, would that be a problem? Go ahead and go to the next slide if you would. A judge who becomes judgmental would be a big problem. Okay? But is, now, I know it's a funny picture, but isn't this the idea of being judgmental? You see the difference? One is replying what the says, word says, doing it the way God wants, and the other is it, it becomes about us. And so what is the difference? We need to understand the two, difference between the two of making judgments and being judgmental. Well, when we're making judgments, and, and we have to make judgments, we're called to make judgments about what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. When you make a judgment, it is a necessary act of discernment. We have to discern what's going on here and, and, and come down somewhere on the issue and make a decision on it. Well, being judgmental is a, wholly, is a totally different thing. Being judgmental is a, a critical heart condition. And that word critical goes in two directions. I don't mean the physical heart, obviously. I mean our heart and soul, how we are on the inside. A critical heart condition. Critical means two things. Uh, one is, is the idea of being critical of somebody. Having a critical spirit. People who are judgmental are just critical. You ever known anybody like that? Don't you love to hang out with them? No, we don't. Oh. But the scary part is maybe it isn't somebody else. Maybe it's me. Sometimes maybe it's you. So it's critical in the sense about criticism, but secondly, it's critical in the sense it's really serious. It's a really big problem. It is a critical problem when we become judgmental. It is it's a problem for us as individuals, and it is a problem for us as the church. And it is not what God has called us to. So we must say no. I am not going to be judgmental. We must make that decision. But we must make the decision not to be judgmental with, at the same time not giving up on making judgments. You see, that's the pendulum, isn't it? Here we are. And over here on one side, we're not judging. We're not making any judgments. And oh, we're supposed to make judgments? And the pendulum comes across center and goes over here and we become judgmental. And we can't do that. We have to do the right thing, we have to make judgments without becoming judgmental. So, so let me look at something here if you don't mind, just a moment. So this is what God has called us to in the church. Sin really matters. And if someone openly says, I am no longer gonna live like a Christian, I am one, but I'm no longer gonna live like one. I, I don't care, this is, I've made my decision. And we work through this whole process with them, trying to get them to see, caring about them, praying for them, talking with them. And finally it just becomes clear that they aren't going to turn back to the Lord. At that point we have to make a decision and say, I'm sorry, you can no longer be a part of the church because of how you've chosen to live. We love you, we want you back but you gotta come back to God to come back to us, all right? Now, 
One more thing that I want to talk to you about this morning out of this passage. Let's look back at it again. The Apostle Paul there in verse number 10 says, hey, this is not about unsaved people outside of the church, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about being, making kinds of judgments to people outside the church, not having anything to do with them. And then verse 12, he says, what do I have to do with judging those also who are outside? That's, that's not what God has called me to, or us to. And verse 13 says, but those who are outside, God judges. So God has called us to a higher standard than the, than the world around us, right? Very clear? He's definitely has called us to a higher standard. But how, I want to say, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for us who are Christians in America during the 21st century that we have become judgmental people toward those who are out there. And what I mean is this. When I talk about out there, out there are, are people who do not know Christ. Do you know what that means? That means they have not been born again. That means they are still the same as they always were. That means that they are not new creations on the inside. That means old things have not passed away. Unsaved people act like, guess what? Unsaved people. Whether it looks good on the outside or bad, they act like unsaved people. They think like unsaved people. They make decisions like unsaved people. But what we have done in our culture, I think, and I think it's because if we go back a generation or so, we somehow or other managed to marry in our mind American political culture and biblical Christianity when God doesn't marry those two things. And so our tendency is this. We think, well, it's those people out there who are ruining everything. It's those people out there who are trying to force their preferences on me that ruin everything. It's, it's those legislators who pass those laws. It's those Supreme Court justices who, who pass down their judgments, you know, things that go against biblical morality. Those evil people, those politicians, those, just whatever list you want to make. Excuse me. Whatever list you want to make, what does Paul say? We don't need to be judging them, do we? Aren't they already judged? God's going to deal with that stuff. Now, this doesn't mean we don't say what's right or wrong, and we may, and if you have an opportunity to vote, you vote, and you have a conversation, you have a conversation. We're talking about being judgmental, again, is that critical heart condition. And I see it showing up in posts online. I see it showing up in conversations on the television. I see it showing up sometimes even amongst ourselves, this judgmental, hurtful, harsh attitude toward people out there and the way they're living, that they're messing everything up for us. Well, folks, we live in a dark world. We live in a, a world that does not know Jesus. We, they do not have the light of God in them. They do not understand. They are sheep going astray without a shepherd. They, why would we become judgmental of them? God will deal with it. All right, so think about all those people. Go ahead and go to that slide if you would, John. 
all those people out there. What role do we have in their lives then? I mean, we need to be judging sin in here, right? Because God has called us to a higher standard, remember? We need to deal with that. But what role do we have toward people out there? Well, it's not a role of condemnation. It's not a role of condemning. Don't condemn. Reach. Do you see the difference? And to reach them, you'll have to talk to them about their sin. And you're going to have to share that with them and share that they are lost. But you know how? You're going to do that at a time, in a place, in a way that reaches them, not that condemns them. They are already condemned. We need to be like Christ. John 3, verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We are the body of Christ in the world, and so we are not here to condemn the world, We are to go out into the world and reach them so that they might be saved. Do you see the difference? So God has called us to a higher standard. Higher standard in the world. And that means that here in the church, this higher standard, we need to to hold a high standard. Okay, that's simple and straightforward. Right? We need to hold a high standard. Hold ourselves to a high standard and if need be, hold each other to a high standard. But when it comes to the world out there, we don't hold them that standard. God does. The role he's given us is not to condemn them, but to reach them. Because we were once sinners, lost, just like them. And Jesus loved us enough to enter into our sin-cursed world to reach us at great personal cost to him. We need to do the same. Part of the higher standard that God has called us to. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, even the hard parts. Lord, there may be people here today have some questions about what does that all mean? What's going on? I, I pray, Lord, that we would remember we aren't talking about us struggling with sin. You are so gracious to us in your work in our lives and We fail and you continue to restore and work in our lives. But at the same time, Lord, you've made it very clear that if one of us reaches a point where we cast off everything that you say about being a Christian and begin to do our own thing, that we have to hold each other accountable. And we do it because we love each other. And we do it in an attempt to restore each other. Thank you for these things, Lord. And and I pray that you'd burden our heart about holy living and about reaching those who are so, so lost. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.